Inspired Execution is a podcast featuring tech leaders from some of the world's largest enterprises and fastest-growing startups. Hosted by Datastack's chairman and CEO, Chet Kapoor, each episode follows a leader's journey to scaling a massive business while inspiring their teams. Join us to learn about the experiences that have shaped them, challenges they've overcome, and the advice they'd give to their younger selves. Ravi Radhakrishnan, CIO of Commercial Banking and Corporate and Investment Banking at Wells Fargo, has nearly three decades of experience leading global technology teams. In today's episode, Ravi discusses his process of time-bound decision-making and how having a customer focus helps companies achieve the crucial balance of scale and speed. You'll learn how Wells Fargo is leveraging AI and quantum computing to address financial challenges of the future, like data protection and portfolio optimization. Ravi, super excited to have you here on the podcast. Thanks, Chad. It's great to be here. So let's get started with your personal journey, right? You've been at Wells Fargo for eight years and before that at City for 18. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Chet, my journey started in India. I did my uh, undergraduate, my high school and undergraduate in computer science uh, in India, in the College of Engineering, Indy in Chennai. And my master's brought me to the US, to Rutgers, where I did my master's in uh, computer science. And right after that, I had the opportunity to join a predecessor firm of Citigroup called Solomon Brothers. So those of you who know Goldman Sachs today, Solomon, Goldman were all very well-known, differentiated investment banking firms. So it was an interesting opportunity to become part of financial services technology. Back then, I thought I'd do it for a few years and uh, probably move to Silicon Valley and do something in technology because I was a technologist and that's how I looked at myself. But financial services uh, technology hooked me. I thought it'll be a few years, and here I am nearly 30 years later, still enjoying what I do. That journey then took me through various roles. And at some point in my career, I became what in financial services we call a CIO, an accountable leader to a group of businesses to support and enable those business and customer outcomes. So I led uh, equities technology, co-led prime brokerage technology with equities, um, operations technology, which is the middle and back office parts of it. Almost every part of what uh, we would generally call investment banking and capital markets technology. Then the next step in my journey took me to Wells Fargo eight plus years ago. I came in to be the CIO for uh, the capital markets investment banking technology area. And it's been an interesting journey at Wells Fargo for me with a variety of different roles. Uh, I started out in uh, capital markets where I grew up. Subsequently, my roles expanded to what we call the wholesale bank. So that's like serving customers uh, who are uh, anyone other than a consumer customer, right? So think of any entity that makes more than, say, 5 million in revenue. They are customers of a wholesale bank. So it's a great perspective to see small businesses, medium businesses, all the way up to some of the largest businesses in the world. So that expanded my horizon. Today, I have a role supporting two of the five businesses within Wells Fargo. They are called the Corporate and Investment Bank and the Commercial Bank. And I... uh, dually report into the head of technology of the firm and the CEOs of these businesses. So it's been an interesting journey, Chet, uh, all the way from uh, school in India to uh, nearly three decades in two of the largest uh, systemically important uh, banks in the world. For sure. And it seems like you went through all the different ways that city morphed, right? So that was, I'm sure, very intriguing to actually, you know, see it happen. Yeah, absolutely. I think when I started in the group I started in, we were a team of like 20 engineers. And uh, it was great to start that way because I could see the bigger picture. I could see everything we did as a team. 
And then over those 20 years, um, at one point, I had the opportunity to lead that same group that grew to like 1,500 engineers, right? So something like that happens over a decade plus and uh, numerous mergers and uh, got to know a lot of work styles and cultures around the world, uh, just given how global city was. What was hard? I'm a very analytical person by nature, Chet. I think you know that from our conversation. So I like looking at situations and analyzing them, assessing them before I make decisions. And it took me a while in my journey to figure out that balance of uh, how much do you want to analyze a situation, right? Uh, You can get to a place where there's diminishing returns and spending more time looking at what the problem itself is, as opposed to making a decision. So that was harder for me in the earlier stages of my career. And I've trained to uh, do what I call time-bound decision-making or analysis. So you get to a place and it varies depending on different situations. Sometimes 80% of what you need to know is good enough to make an effective decision. And sometimes it's 90%. It's almost never 100% is what I had to learn along the way. What came easy to you? I think a couple of things in hindsight came easy to me. Uh, connecting dots. I think I mentioned that I was fortunate to start in a small team. So I got very used to asking what comes before what I do and what comes after. And I think today in scale enterprises, that's a challenge. You do a particular capability and it's part of an experience or an experience, but how it all fits together into the totality of how the customer journey is done or how the franchise capabilities are accomplished is harder. That part of connecting the dots came naturally to me. All along the way, whether it was a smaller group or a larger group I was working with. The other thing that came in hindsight easily to me is just partnering and collaborating with others. I didn't give it a lot of thought as to I should go and partner and collaborate. To me, it was just walking over and talking, asking if I could help. And I then found myself often being tapped to do more or just doing more than the strict definition of my role. And I think a lot of that comes with uh, just the natural instinct to collaborate. And you have a shared purpose and That just makes the outcome for everything better. So you and I have spent a bunch of time talking about financial services and how it's transforming. You've been doing this now for a couple of decades. It seems like it's accelerated a lot over the last five years. Give us your perspective on, you know, what is happening to accelerate the transformation and where do you think it's heading? I started my career in equities trading, right? Systems that buy and sell stocks. And uh, most of the listeners here would know that that is a highly electronic activity today, right? Uh, Most of you have ways in which you can do that at a click of a button. And the entirety of the equities or stock trading paradigms in the world are highly electronic. And I started there like 25 plus years ago. And I saw a lot of the patterns we see today across financial services, even back then. And uh, just my observation is it's been a secular trend to apply digital transformation. It could be electronic trading. It could be digitization of uh, processes and activities. It's the customer experience. Uh, there are many different forms of digital transformation, but across the different uh, segments of financial services, I've been observing that same secular trend that as time goes by, things become more automated, more self-service, more data analytics driven, more API-driven, more electronic. And every cycle in a different segment of financial services happens faster. If it took equities like stocks 20, 30 years to get to this highly electronic form of digitized, the asset classes that came later, like foreign exchange or fixed income, 
payments and other segments of financial services, when they go through it, progressively, it takes less and less time. It's just a secular trend in adopting all the technology and enablement that's available. That's going to keep making every part of the financial services segment more and more digital in every sense of the word. That's an awesome way to think about it. So you're spending a lot of time with IBM Research, with MIT, right? And Wells Fargo is leveraging AI and you know quantum computing. You talked about it earlier. Give us your thoughts. Yeah, those have been very uh, interesting engagements for us, as you mentioned, uh, as Wells Fargo and Wells Fargo Technology. We have a couple of uh, unique deep engagements, and uh, one of them is with the Watson AI Lab. That's a joint venture between MIT and uh, IBM Research. And uh, we are one of the uh, industry affiliates to the Watson AI Lab as of like a year ago. And what we found interesting was uh, that brought a lot of leading edge academia research thinking from MIT, who are one of the leaders in AI, along with one of the largest pure play research environments in the world in IBM research. And their partnership has brought a lot of interesting opportunities to look into some hard problems of the future. So a good example of what we do with them, and we participate, we observe the research that they do, and we choose to participate in some very specific projects. So one of the ones we participate in is about a synthetic data generation. So Chet, we've talked about how as AI becomes more and more progressive, more and more impactful in its outcomes, it's using more and more data. And one of the challenges in financial services is we have very strict regulations and compliance and just privacy policies around how we look at data. You know, we protect our customers' data with the utmost uh, criticality. So when AI models need huge amounts of data, It's a challenge for us to be concerned about how do we protect the data from leakage or the right people seeing it. So one of these research projects is about could we take 1% or less of actual data and synthesize the other 99 plus percent, but with the same characteristics of the data. So could we create synthetic data that have the same characteristics and fidelity of the original data? And then the challenges with protecting the data moving the data, transferring the data, all become far easier. So it kind of scales AI and helps democratize it. In quantum, for example, it's much earlier stage. It's a lot more about uh, test and learn and kind of discovery and getting used to the quantum computing model. So we have a couple of use cases that we are doing proof of concepts, but we are in the process of doing those. Uh, One of them is in classic portfolio optimization. In financial services, you have portfolios of assets that you stress in different ways, you optimize them in different ways, and they take up an incredible amount of compute and time in traditional computing. And there's a promise in quantum computing that can dramatically reduce that time. Uh, Another example is post-quantum cryptography, right? Quantum computing methods are going to create risks to existing ways of encryption being more easily broken So there's a whole series of thought and efforts around preparing for it. What does that post-quantum cryptography world look like? So those are a couple of examples, Chat, where uh, we look to learn and we look to kind of do some proof of concept. So a lot earlier stage compared to the uh, AI work I mentioned. As you talk to the, and I'm just taking this as an example, as your division heads or for commercial banking and corporate investment banking, do you think they would say they're saying they are seeing the benefits yet, or do you think it's a little further out? I think they're seeing some benefits. We already see it in applying AI in fraud protection, 
as an example. So I would say some of the benefits are there, but a lot of the promise is in the near to medium term future. So I would say it's a little bit of both. I, I don't think it's quite, haven't seen the outcomes yet, but it's also not all of the outcomes are there today. It is very much uh, in the earlier stages of impact check. You know, it's funny, Pravi, I was having this discussion with CIO and they said, you know, we've been so process-centric and so transactional for so long that we have forgotten that it's about the data. Most of the business leaders that this person talks to, because they've been so transactional and process-oriented and because the focus has not been on data, they actually do not know how to ask the right questions. Do you see that? I see some of it, but I would say the business leaders that I work with are asking those questions. They're just asking them in different forms. They are asking them without quite knowing how the solution could come together or where the data might be. But increasingly, the conversations I have with business leaders are around how do we serve our customers better? How do we increase our value proposition? What's the next best conversation to have with our customers? So they are all questions that are just one step away from data. So they may not ask a data question, but they are asking the right questions that very quickly lead to the criticality of turning data into insights. Changing gears, you've led very large teams around the world. How do you balance thoughtful execution with speed? That's always an interesting challenge, right? Scale is not uh, always an asset. Sometimes it's a disadvantage. Uh, and people sometimes think about scale and speed as being mutually exclusive. In my experience, Jet, over time, there's been a few approaches to thinking of it more as scale plus speed, right? So I typically begin with being aligned on a common purpose. It could be the strategy. It could be what outcome we want for the customer. Anytime you want to have that scale plus speed, it's very important to be aligned on a common purpose. Otherwise, all the different parts of the scale don't come together. It's also important to be customer-centric in everything you do. That's another element to it. I'm a fan of processes. Sometimes processes look very old-fashioned, but I think in our industry, it's very clear that if we can reimagine our processes, we can re-engineer them, we can make them more efficient, have a customer-centric mindset, then applying modern technology to those processes can result in some great outcomes that combine speed and uh, scale. And then ultimately, it's about the right operating model and empowering people and removing obstacles. Then we find that large-scale organizations can move in parallel at speeds that become more cumulative than sequential. Clearly, you've, uh, you have scars to prove how you've come up with this equation, right? Because, um, because you have to constantly keep balancing it. Absolutely. You learn by trying different things, and eventually you find a bunch of patterns that work for these type of scale and speed situations. Ravi, who inspires you? I'm somebody who thinks you can learn and be inspired from everybody. And I don't mean that flippantly, right? I think virtually everybody I work for, work with, or interacted with, I look for something to learn from them because I feel everyone's got something they do well. So that's maybe at a macro level, everyone inspires me. And then getting more particular People who are interdisciplinary, people who can move across themes, people who can fuse things and look at problems very differently. It could be computer science and biology, or it could be someone like A.R. Rahman, one of the Indian music directors that I admire a lot. Um, he's got this great ability to fuse different styles of music, and you get some completely unexpected and great outcomes. 
So I typically uh, am inspired by anyone who can look at problems, look at situations from many different perspectives and bring those perspectives together to approach the problem differently and have some unexpected outcomes. Sometimes it's just fun. Sometimes it's transformational. I like this. I like the cross-disciplinary or even in the same discipline, but taking all the different nuances and bringing them together because it's it's hard, right? It's um, something that I learned early on in my career, which is having a chance to be around Steve Jobs at Next, right? The whole, you know, it's about liberal arts and computer science fused together. Absolutely. And I think, and to some extent, I think some of the people I admire the most are the people who have that interdisciplinary fusion across very different things, like you said, with Steve Jobs. What advice would you give a younger version of yourself? I'd say a few things. I'd start with um, work-life balance, right? If I could tell something to me 30 years ago, 20 years ago, I would have advised to always be looking to spend enough time with, with family, with friends. Earlier on in my career, I think the, uh, I'll say the excitement and the thrill of work would at times certainly get the better of me. And it took me a while to get that right balance. And I'm fortunate I've had that now for a decade plus, but uh, that's something I see still a lot of very driven, motivated people struggle with. So maybe it's something that everyone should know very early on. Another thing I would tell my younger self is that balance of being detailed and at the same time being able to step away from it to look at the bigger picture. So it's that kind of combination of skills to say when you need, you can go deep. So you have to be well-versed in your domain, but you also need to know that when you need to need look at the bigger picture, trust and empower others, you're stepping back, right? So it's kind of a bit of balance of the both. And then lastly, Chet, I would say communication. I've learned along the way, all ideas are great only if you can communicate. So all forms of communication, how can you get your idea across to someone in an elevator in like a minute or two? And how can you elaborate on that idea for an hour with a technical engineering group? Those would probably be the three things I advised myself when I was younger. That's awesome. One of the things I, I always remind myself is, you know, all younger versions of ourselves would always talk about how we arrived at our opinions or our point of view. And as you go through life, you realize you should just state it and then talk about how you got there, right? And this is a critical part of what you said from a communication point of view. Absolutely. I think context, it's how you get through the, the why behind it. And sometimes a lot of people can just rush into the steps. Ravi, as all my conversations with you, this has been awesome and phenomenal. I'm sure our listeners will really enjoy this. We really appreciate your time. Thank you, Chet. I enjoyed this opportunity to talk to your listeners. And uh, thank you for hosting these forums. Uh, just being part of it, uh, it's clear to me that uh, this is a, a series that you're doing that will be very helpful when, if I was younger and I had the opportunity to listen to something like this. Thank you. Thanks, Chet. Digital transformation is happening across many industries at a faster rate than ever before. With a shared purpose, a customer-centric approach, and the right operating model, you can balance speed and scale to produce positive results. Ravi also reminds us how important it is to look at situations from different perspectives and bring these viewpoints together to achieve innovative outcomes. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Inspired Execution Podcast, hosted by Chairman and CEO of Datastacks, Chet Kapoor. We have many more guests and amazing stories to come, so stay tuned. 
If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the series to be notified when a new episode is released. And for Apple Podcast listeners, please rate and review the show to help give it a wider reach to listeners such as yourself. And feel free to drop us any questions or feedback at inspiredexecution at datastacks.com.